Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. My name's Andy Mitten. And this podcast, as with a couple of others we're going to do during the international break, is we're going to speak to some writers. Today we're going to speak to John Paul O'Neill. He's got a book coming out. Uh, John Paul is well known among Manchester United fans and FC United fans. He edited Red Issue for a long time and he's written a book called Red Rebels, which is published by Yellow Jersey. And it comes out on the 21st of September, priced £14.99. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by RedArmyBet.com. Have a look on the website for the latest odds and offers, a special offers for Manchester United fans. That's RedArmyBet.com. John Paul, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Andy. We've been sent questions in for you. Um, from United We Stand uh, readers, I've got some questions myself. I've, I've known you for a long time and I was interested when I heard that you were doing a book and I've read most of the book and I found it very interesting, quite sad, quite happy, um, but, but, but interesting uh, nonetheless. Why have you done a book? Why have you done it now? Um, tell people what it's about. It's a book about Managed FC United. Um, sorry, go on. It's a book about FC United. Yeah, they wanted the history of FC United, but um, I think to tell that, you've got to say where the club came from. Um, so a lot of that tied into Manchester United in the early 2000s with the whole Sergio Coolmore stuff and from uh, the Glazer takeover. And so that's a big part of the book. Um, Obviously, FC United came out of the protests against the Glazer takeover in May 2005. Um, they'd been settled that summer. So, why now? That, that, that's the reason why now. Um, and what was your other question, Terry? Why? Why are you doing it? Why have you done the, why have you done the book? And, and, and what's it about? I think you, you've answered um, all, all, all those uh, three, three points. FC was your idea originally. You mentioned it yeah, in, in, in Reddish. Yeah. yeah, when um, during during the whole that season, two thousand four, two thousand five, there was a lot of things going on, and there was a lot of doubts in terms of would the Glazers bid, would they not bid, would they see it through, would they just um, sort of stalk United, trying to make, make a quick bulk up or the share price rising. And cashing out, they've done that in the past thing with Harley Davidson when they were investing in that, and they ended up in court in America. There was a lot of doubts around it, and there's certainly doubts around who's going to finance it. The likes of JP Morgan involved, then pulling out in the time of the AGM in November 2004, um, when it was like the Glazers were going to launch a hostile bit into the club. So on the back of that, it was, they came back in February. With, and there's all talk of a new bid. They were coming again. They wanted to do due diligence on United's books to see, see how the finances were and everything else. Um, and it was just an idea to throw a bit more doubt in the mix that if there was this alternative club, could they rely on Old Trafford still being full? Because that was one of the biggest things. They were coming to take the money that was offered by virtue of the club's loyal support, as well as being seen as a pretty much cast iron guarantee of success but that they were the two sort of pillars on which the bid was based or any bid would be based and because of that we are just looking to undermine it in any way we could and the FC United idea was just to like I say throw that down into the mix but they, they wouldn't have any idea how many people might go that way and say right it's going to be treated as customers we'll take a customer else 
player if that's what you're going to come for. So, given that, when it was the takeover actually went through and it was mid-May when it happened, there wasn't much time to do anything about it. Yet, the way it had been presented and everything, obviously, was that this would be happening in the event of a takeover. But because it was so late in the day, with regards to the following season coming round and um, league AGMs, the North West Counties AGM and the uh, Premier League AGM, and um, sort of, well, how, how are we going to manage to put a football club together in four or five weeks before that? Even when the takeover went through, it's like, well, it's too late, we can't do it now, it's going to we're gonna have to wait a year, if anything. But eventually, we just thought, well, let's go for it. And that's what we did. So you started the football club up from scratch. Um, I should declare an interest. My brother was one of the, the first sign-ins. He dropped down a few divisions to, to play for FC and I think he thoroughly enjoyed his season there. And I watched him several times when he was playing there. And there was a feeling of euphoria and I think you get that across in the book. And some of the crowds were astonishing. I can remember going to one game against Winsford at Gig Lane and there were over 4,000 people there. And I knew a lot of Manchester United fans, lads I had seen at the game, for many, many years, including some close friends of mine who they were going everywhere with FC United. I was I was amazed that they, they stopped going to United and started going to all FC games. But as the years went on, the numbers seemed to decline, the euphoria seemed to decrease. I didn't follow it as closely uh, as people who were involved did. My brother wasn't playing there uh, a- a- anymore. Did did a rot start to set in early? What happened, or was that just uh, a club maturing and, and becoming more of a normal football club as the the early enthusiasm wore off? Yeah, I think I think there's a bit of that. I mean, you've got to remember in two thousand five six that season, it was like this brand new. Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, if you like, because they want to see what it's all about, see what's happening, and you saw that in some of the crowds. Um, the following season, the crowd dropped. The average crowd dropped by maybe 500, and it did the second year after that as well. So it dropped by a thousand. Two years, but then the average crowd settled about two, 2,200, which, which is, was more than respectable for the level the club was playing at. But um, in terms of those first couple of years, certainly it was, it, there was a lot of people going. But it was, it was a novel, it was a novel experience. It was, you know, and it was. Like you say, he was euphoric that first season in a lot of ways. Um, people were enjoying themselves, but obviously it's only a novel experience as long as it's novel, isn't it? So once people experience it all, then they might get tired of it. Because like you say, some, some, some of the lads you know well who are going, generally they have to sit in a pub and watch United on the telly, so... Presume a lot of them went back to doing that sort of thing. Um, but also, there's the gig lane factor. That, you can't underestimate that. If, if FC had ended up playing within Manchester within 18 months, two years of starting, I think crowds would have held up a lot more than they did. Um, they would have attracted a lot more support on the back of that. But just gig lane every second week, it's just the back of the room, isn't it? To a large extent. There was a lot of scepticism around when the Glazers took over there were a lot of people saying that this is not going to last the way they've structured the debt is unsustainable 12 years on from FC and both the Glazer takeover I'm surprised at how it's worked out for the Glazers I'm surprised at the amount of money coming in the protests have died away almost to nothing how do you see it are you you surprised how it's all panned out first of all with the Glazers and then we'll talk more about, about FC well, I think you've got to look at it from two sort of, well, at least two sort of viewpoints because United still part of the Premier League, um, all right, maybe not in the last sort of three seasons, but pretty much staple in the Champions League as well. Um, the biggest proportion of the club's income comes from the TV deals on both of those. Now, all right, United are part of that and sponsors and everyone else are buying into it to get the respective glory off clubs like United, Barcelona, Real Madrid and everyone else. So, to that extent, United have influenced that, but 
Otherwise, it's, it's out of the glazer's hands. How that uh, that revenue is increased? Obviously, the Premier League centralised pot. Um, that's got up to hundred million per club per season minimum. So, all right, they've increased money with all these sponsorship deals off the pitch, all these partners, sausage partners, or whatever else it is. It's far east. Um, you've got Nigeria, South, Saudi Arabia, all these sponsorship deals. And that's when that's when the Glazers own people have come in and done stuff. But they've only really copied the blueprint of Formula One and and I suppose American football to a certain degree. And you know, fair play, they've done it and increased revenues and this great. But where does that leave where does that leave the ordinary fan? And that's that's the one other aspect that we've they really ramped up. And okay, okay, they haven't been 2010, perhaps 2010, 2011, but that's because they took it, they, they ramped prices up to such an extreme that they couldn't really go any further. Um, and what so, about what about you? Did you stop going to Old Trafford? When was the last time you saw a game at Old Trafford? Did you? I've seen you at away matches. How did the takeover affect your support? of Manchester United did you watch games in television on television or did you just throw yourself wholeheartedly into supporting FC well I mean I, um, I'm still a United fan but um, I gave up a season ticket because throughout that season 2004-05 we many of us said we won't be customers we're not customers we're football fans we won't be treated by these chances coming in just to take people's money ramp ticket price, which they did, and you saw the knock-on effect, at the end of the 2005-16, there was those loans, people gave up, but they didn't give up, they were piped out, I mean, I, I, I remember being at Christian, I remember being at Christian in October 2005, good mate of mine, and his mum and dad used to go everywhere, and they were well-known, taking at a match, and his mate's mum was just going on, I mean, yes, look, yes, you can't do that, you can't do this, and just, like in the whole idea of anyway at the end of that season they priced out they gave, they gave the ticket to the episode because they said they couldn't afford it and inside you know partly had a little chuckle about it so well you know what were you saying what were you saying a few months ago but it's sad because so many people were priced out and but I, I wasn't necessarily I could have I could have still afforded but I gave them season ticket because that's what we said that's what that's what we pledged not, not one penny you know Sales United they've run a whole campaign on that um, not one penny and that's something that's more important you can't, you can't, you can't be taken for a soul and just I mean how, how much did they look in those first five years there's, there's so many people priced out and that's why the crowd changed so much from sort of 2007 to 2007 ticket, t- ticket prices definitely shot up pretty substantially for those first five years as you say they've since plateaued they're not going up anymore clubs don't have the same pressure because of because of television money and there's definitely been other shifts I've seen people who went to FC United they've started coming back to Old Trafford some people did both um, and, and the reasons are varied uh, one fella said to me that my son wants to watch Manchester United more than he wants to watch FC United um, and then there are other reasons for the way that FC United was being run. Clearly, Manchester United's not not perfect. But as you read your book and get deeper and deeper into it, and it becomes clear that FC need their own ground, and there are a lot of obstacles along the way to getting the new ground. And finally, uh, the new ground opens in at Broadhurst Park uh, with a game against uh, Benfica's B team. And I knew people close to FC, including yourself, who were there at that night. And that seemed to be, and I might be reading it wrong, the high. You've done it. You've built your own ground. You've got a massive uh, crowd for it. The ground looks really nice. It's in a a part of Manchester which will probably appreciate uh, the investment, the support. Uh, Season ticket prices are uh, are still low. And then what happened next? It seemed to implode. And you're one of the reasons why, because you started highlighting what you perceived was to be malpractice, mispractices going on. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's to a degree. I mean, the biggest, the biggest problem was this, the fact that 
the ground and it's really mustard. That's nothing, no slight on mustard. It's it because the, the first sort of location that was um, investigated was in Utilib, 10 acres lane, about a mile from City's ground just off Oldham Road, where there was a leisure centre with a football pitch and everything else. And the club were in sorts of the council and a big deal was set up for FC to have that site and develop it as a football stadium. Now, the council were also partners with the Arabs who own City. And um, when it suddenly came out to the FC, it spent about £400,000 um, doing the plans and everything else, the preliminary work for the stadium being at 10 acres lane. And then the council announced a deal with Manchester City owners about developing around East Manchester. And suddenly they pulled the plug on 10 acres lane. Now, it was strongly suspected by a lot of people that that was because they didn't want another club on their patch, so to speak. Even though it's, I don't know exactly how far it is, but it's about a mile away, perhaps. And so FC, FC got turfed. Henrique's lane was given over to something else. And um, basically the council said they'd try and help FC develop another site. And that site ended up being Muston. But the thing was, Henrique's lane was only due to cost about three and a half million pounds to develop. By the time Muston, the groundbreaking came, came on the Muston site, Judicial review due to protest the local residents against having this football ground in their area. Um, other plans have gone up, and suddenly you talk about six million pound rather than three and a half to four. And so that's what's really caused a lot of issues with the extra finance that's required. Um, and the, obviously, the ironic thing is now FC is in a massive amount of debt relative to its annual turnover. And that was that was obviously the thing that everyone was protesting about that the Glazers were doing at Manchester United back in two thousand five. So the the, cl- the club are in debt. There's there's clearly been problems there. Are you optimistic about the future of FC? And one of the readers wants to know: Would you consider putting yourself forward to to stand on the board yourself? Um, optimistic. It, it depends. I mean, the club's obviously facing huge pressures at the moment. Um, and there's a lot of issues there that still need sorting out. I mean, it's, it's on far, some far better ground than it was 12 months ago, like because a new board's been voted in and most of them are doing a good job. Um, and there's a new CEO who's replaced Andy Walsh. And up there's, you know, there's hopes for the future, but the thing with finance, it could change at any moment, can't it? And obviously, the main thing that underpins a football club is we built on the pitch and and performances on the pitch, team playing well, going to get crowds through the gate, everything pretty much looks after itself, doesn't it? So, I mean, FC's had a bad start to the season, lost this, three on the bounce, is it? But last, last, last three, four results have not been too bad, so hopefully it'll come together a bit and things will turn around. Uh, in terms of standing for the board, I mean, it's <laughs> a good question. I have no doubt that I, that I would have some positives to bring if I did, but you know, it's obviously not my call anyway. You'd have to be voted in. Um, whether I do or not, I don't know. I've got, I've got a lot of things coming up. A lot of diversions. So if, uh, if there's a groundswell of the future, then I might consider it, but I don't see that coming any time soon. So you say that, and, and it leads into another question we've... we've I'd sent in, which is you highlighted a lot of good points about the problems at FC, but you turned a lot of people off by doing it in such an aggressive style. Is that a fair point, or did you feel that you needed to do that? Um, well, it depends what people mean by an aggressive style. But the, the one, the one thing that certainly that certainly happened was back in 2015. The vast majority of FC fans, everything, everything was great. The, the grounds built. That Benfica playing in front of a sellout crowd, 4,200, whatever it was. Um, the teams just won the league, got promoted to the Conference North. So, you know, what, what, what are the issues? People, people only want to look as far as the success, really. You had to sort of start, start digging to see what we've done. Um, 
it's very hard to start telling people, well, actually, the whole structure's rotten here. When, when all they can see is the, the ground, promotion, the temperature, trophy, and everything else. And people don't want to listen. So because of that, I was getting, I was getting loads and loads of stick to just pointing these things out that were going wrong and that were being done badly. And then I came into dogs abuse, of course I did, but I knew I would. You know, that goes in the same, that goes in the position, so I wasn't, I wasn't complaining. But certain people didn't, didn't like things being pointed out and start screaming, bullying and abuse, just questioning them. And that became the mantra of Andy Walsh and all his acolytes throughout the following season. Anything, any questioning of what they were doing, anything that was being pointed out about how the club was in a bad situation or whatever, it was bullying and abuse. It wasn't legitimate questions by members, owners of the club. It was bullying and abuse. And, that was, and then eventually when people realised that this was just what was being thrown at anyone, whoever they were, asking anything or saying whatever they any sort of question of Andy Walsh, that they were bullied, they were being abusive, and everyone suddenly realised how ridiculous it was, and you saw the weight of opinion change. You continued to do Red Issue until the, the start of 2015, if I'm not mistaken, and then you called a day on it with Red Issue. Do you regret that, or do you feel that you made the, the right decision at the time to stop doing a long-established and, and successful fanzine. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the takeover happened, and to some extent, there's a big decision to make there, whether it's carry on, because Redis issue myself, others involved, we took such a, um, a strong stance against the takeover, what it means to the club. And just to tie in, say, the point you, asked, you brought up earlier, but... People think the Glazers are a genius now because of how it's panned out and there's all this revenue rolling in and everything else. But it's just a matter of timing as far as I'm concerned because they had to refinance twice. And they only, because they got the first refinancing through in sort of 2006, seven before the global financial crisis, that's, that's, how this, that's how the clubs come out of everything to be in a position that it is today. Liverpool's owners did a very similar thing, Hicks and Gillette. They didn't refinance in time, and we all saw how they owned up, it ended up. They, had to, they were forced to sell, and you had the Boston group come in and take over. And that could easily be United, but United would have been in a worse, far worse situation. That was what all the warnings were about. That's what all the protests were about. So, so anyway, back to that issue. In, in terms of terms of carrying them funding on it, after the takeoff, well, it was, it was a bit hypocritical because obviously I was, I did not choose to take it, but at the same time, still, you know, it's still going away again, still going your So, in terms of that, well, what, why should we still have that stay in the club? So we carried on, but 10 years later, and the way football's gone in that 10 years, it's just, I've just had enough of it, but it's doing it. I mean, I try, I try to put the opinion across in that final editorial and explain the situation, but um, it's just like, you feel less and less part of football as a whole each year, each passing year, just because of how it goes, and it's all about money, it's all about finance, and... It's less and less a sport. I mean, you've only got to look at how Woodward's taken the club in the last few years. There's, there's concern about the biggest trending name on Twitter is they are, whether they have the trophy at the end of the season. Well, at least it seems like that. I and mean, the way the way transfers are announced and the emphasis put on breaking new records for transfers and everything else. Well, what does that matter? Win, win football matches. That's what sport's about. What are your thoughts on? Another non-league football club which has had a very high profile in recent years in Greater Manchester, Salford City. I think Curzon. I mean, my brother used to play for Curzon, and they have done incredibly well to get 
into the Conference North, National League North and, and stay there. I know they've got a new ground, but they're not a big club and they're playing against teams in the same league as FC who are full-time, who've got wealthy benefactors. And I, I thought of Curzon the other day when Manchester United drew Burton Albion and I thought if I had to pick two clubs out in English professional and semi-professional football who are punching above their weight and shouldn't be where they are. Curzon Ashton and and Burton Albion will be those teams, but Salford City is obviously a very different uh, ownership model. Uh, what's your take on, on Salford and, and what they're doing? Salford, I mean, remember trying to get people who would end up being involved in FC United near the start to come to a game of non-league football before 2005 um, because my family's always played it I've always been watching it since watching my dad's and my uncle's and it was really hard it was really really hard they had no interest whatsoever into it and there was a mixture of reactions after that when they started going to FC and it was like we've, we've been missing out on this all at a time um, I can't believe we were so arrogant in not looking at some of the smaller clubs on our doorstep. What do you like when you go to, to non-league football? And do you miss going to Old Trafford? Do you miss anything about Old Trafford? Because I'm assuming you've not been inside Old Trafford post-2005. I've been, in, I've been in Old Trafford a couple of times, yeah. Um, and that's why I don't miss it. Because I've seen it seen it since I went, I went in one game last season um, I was invited in a box I've never, I've never been in a box so I was rested. and I just thought yes why not I'll, I'll go I've enjoyed a freebie have a good day on a good day out and it was a good day but I'll tell you what I wouldn't like to go to box every week anyway but um, it was I don't know it's just it's changed of me and it's not it's not the same it's not the same as well so you don't miss I'd rather the home games I'd rather watch in the pub with my mates because you've got no mind you've got no echo you've got no police filming you no steward telling you what to do no idiots sat around with lots traps but it depends what pub you're going um, and, and mo- most so yeah, terms of, mo- most sorry, normal in terms of going on traffic no I don't really miss it anymore I miss what it was of course I do yeah. I miss what it was and what it meant and everything else but I don't miss what it is now Another question from a reader is City of Liverpool FC seems to more or less be a copy of FC United's model in many ways. If they asked you for advice, would you give it to them? Yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. Because ultimately, the sort of people who would be behind from Guadalajara, well, I'm guessing, um, would be Liverpool Everton fans who, who have themselves been priced out alienated from the clubs we've got Anfield there's more tourists at Anfield than there are it's embarrassing and yet and it's what is it 25,000 smaller capacity so it's much higher proportion there um, and yet you, so you, you hear it as probably more so, more so from scouts about how alienated Premier football makes from these days lifelong football fans just, just you've got more in common with them so why, why would you not help them out? If they wanted advice and what to do, yeah, you'd help them out. As far as I'm concerned, you would anyway. Another question from a reader is, how can you follow, support and love anything other than the team you grow up following as a kid? I will never understand that. Uh, surely it's unconditional. Um, and someone else sent another question in which is broadly similar so I might as well raise the point. Did you ever stand on the Stratford end and sing, we'll support you? Yeah, I saw that question. He, he, he's um, seen a bit in 
Alan Partridge where he meets his stalker. And uh, he's got all the pictures in his bedroom with Alan Partridge. That, that's how I feel with that guy. He's, he, he's obsessed with me, I'm sure he is. I don't, but, uh, I don't know who's asked it actually I've just copied the questions rather than asked them but I think that the, the point is that you can't stop supporting a football team and that was a criticism I don't know any SC fan who, who does say they stop supporting United yeah. um, I don't know any SC fan who says and surely if these people if it come back to Salford it's interesting now that it only ever gets asked of SC fans it never gets asked of Gary Neville or Ryan Giggs do they not want Salford City to do well just the same as an FC fan wants their feet to do well but no one ever says oh hang on you're not, you're not a United fan anymore to them do, do they so it's um, it's very specifically directed all this and it's just really Another question, it's more of a point, and this is from a reader who says, at risk of opening up a huge can of worms, I personally can't see how anybody can look at the atmosphere at Old Trafford on a regular match day or at more general developments in football and say that those who founded FC United did not have a point. I mean, the atmosphere, when I used to go to see my brother, I probably went six, seven times in that first season. It was brilliant, and part of me was envious um, at the thing that was going on there. And I, I, I took in a, a, a lot of views from FC United fans there and people were saying, you know, there are exaggerations, I think, on both sides. People were saying Old Trafford's dead now. And I didn't feel it was dead. I didn't feel that every single vocal United fan had left, although clearly a lot did. What, what's the atmosphere like now at FC United matches? It's, it's not as good as it was in those first few seasons. No, of course it's not. But um, I think that a lot of that's the novelty the sort of uh, anger and rage dying down a bit because it's you know time time moves on. Um, it's the changing of the crowd at SV as well because it has changed and evolved over the last twelve years. Um, you've also got. I mean, old traffic atmosphere. You made the point quite often about well when the fun being first started in nineteen eighty nine. Um, people moaning about the atmosphere at Old then and that's that's a legitimate point. But at the same time, it was only three pounds to get in on Trafford then, and you could stand with your mates. So even if it was the atmosphere is no good, you'd be surrounded by twenty mates all having a, all having a laugh from the parents or whatever. And so it wasn't as big a deal if it was. People people wanted the atmosphere to be rocking every day, but. Oh, when, when the atmosphere is no good and you sat, sat in your seat and you can't move and you might have one mate next to you there but a bunch of clowns slagging whoever else behind you. It's different, isn't it? And you're paying 50 quid for the privilege. So that, that's the whole atmosphere thing. I know traffic is doing great on occasion but I mean, how many times in the last 12 years? It's probably once a season these days, isn't it? Barcelona 2008, Chelsea 2005. Games like that, um, and it's, I don't know. The singing end. People wanted that. It's coming. Has it made much of a difference? People who well, you did a much better position to tell me, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I, I'm quite. Oh, I'm quite defensive over some of those people because I think they are trying, but the swimming against the tide. There's, there's not enough of them. There's a lot of cynicism around it, which I can I can understand. But I see people putting their hard-earned in, making nice flags, and they do the same at FC United, some brilliant flags there. And I went to Broadhurst Park for the first time in, in April, and I actually thought the atmosphere was really good, even though everyone was saying the football's not as good as it should be. I thought the ground was good. Um, I was struck by how few people are recognised, because I think 10 years ago, you knew, you knew most of the people there, because... They, they were from Manchester United and I think that the atmosphere debate will go on and on it, it just really depresses me when I go to somewhere abroad and watch a game and it's miles miles better than anything I see in in England it's, it's just a different league and you've watched football in South America you've watched football in Europe and I'm just envious when I watch it and I think there's so many good football fans in Manchester whether they're United City um, FC United brilliant football fans who are so loyal who go absolutely everywhere and support their team and yet I see St Etienne come to Old Trafford and I just think wow I'm just in awe of it I'm just envious of, of what they've got because as a kid 
It was brilliant. To, to a certain extent, I mean, Santos Siena, I'm sure, it's not rocking every week there. In fact, someone brought them up the other day and was telling me they'd been to the real holiday in France and they went to a game there and it was just pretty dead. But at the, at the same time, what, what you've got to realise is that in Europe, well, some countries in Europe, certainly South America, there's a very, very different demographic who go to the games and ultimately football, it's a, it's a young lad, it's a young lad's pastime. And you look, you look at what was the Doxford Army, they're all 12, 13, 14, 15, 12 down there. They're not, they're not 45, 50 like most of all traffic is in those pretty much. Um, if they're not tourists, just the sort of 45, 50, aren't they really? And you're not going to get 45, 50 year olds to around creating a dip on a Saturday afternoon to go and fit in the seat and they're happy to do so by and large. Um, and that's the thing, it's like, Years ago, you'd have young kids, young kids act up, make can use themselves, sing and shout. That's what they do. That's what we do together. That's what terraces are all about. That's when you get the whole club feel and identity. That's what that's what the togetherness from the terrace. Um, and that's why you still get it in South America, bouncing, and certain countries in Europe. But when it's fifty quid. A ticket or Trafford for it's 60 quid. You're gonna, kids aren't going to be there because they don't have that sort of money unless they're taken by the dad. And certainly the older people aren't going to be the sort of people who create noise, create atmosphere, are they? And that's why you only get one or two games a season because if when they're really up for it in a European semi final or equivalent game title decider, that those sort of people will get up and be passionate about it because that's what it comes down to, about passion, isn't it? There are a group of people doing the bit. It's I know they're frustrated. I know they were frustrated with the manager's comments after the Leicester game. But I'm going to go and go in the pub with him before a forthcoming game. Record a a podcast. Another question. It's about you, and you are a figure of intrigue for some people. Um, how did you feel about your portrayal in the book Scum Airways? Um, is the question. And he said the bit that sticks in my mind was when the author followed you out to Thailand and sat down with you for a bit and described uh, your intelligent, the, how intelligent you were. This was not long after an incident where you'd confronted a lad uh, for singing Who the Fucker Man United. Was that an accurate p- portrayal of you? I didn't realise it was a portrayal <laughs> and the next question was what was your first experience of seeing disorder at a football game <laughs> there seems to be a scene I'm not sure why um, disorder at a football game um, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you mine then right I, I can remember in the, when I was 13 or 14 the whole Stratford end singing to Chelsea fans about you're going to get your head kicked in. There's five or six thousand Chelsea fans behind the goal, and I actually thought, "Shit, this is going to there's going to be real trouble here." I'm waiting for the bus outside the two five five opposite the chippies at the top of the road, and seeing Chelsea escorted across the top of the road, and I was in awe of them. It was every game this huge away following going past with stragglers coming off, and as a, as a young kid, you're just like. It just seemed very, very exciting. And then when you start going to away matches and you're getting off a train or you're getting off a coach and you're on enemy territory and you walk into the game and it's just very, very exciting. And people obviously go in different directions. But you've been going to the match a long time and I'm sure you've seen some incidents of disorder yourself. Where's the worst place you've been? Have you ever been frightened when you've been at a match? Um, not so much frightened, no, but there was certainly uh, Newcastle in the nineties. That was a dodgy place to go. The um, when when we were one nil in ninety six, because we only ever had about five, six, seven hundred tickets, maybe, didn't we, at Newcastle? And uh, in the nineties, they seemed to hate us like nothing else. And um, we'd always get a train up, just sort of five, six of us. Maybe a few more, depending on how many, uh, how confident people were of getting in, shall we say. Um, but yeah, that night game was, you know, all the Geordies were outside after crying, really, and looking to uh, exact some revenge. But the, um, and 99, I think 99 was probably the dodgiest time, to be honest, 
because we had two separate ends, so they sort of 700 tickets, 800 tickets maybe that, that year. They, they were either side, they were sort of on each corner flag. And so there's only, there's only the, there weren't many United fans going round, that round towards the train station. I just remember three of us walking out and all around us with Jordan saying, okay, what the day is before a United fan? And there's just three of us in the middle trying to get round to get, meet up with a few of the other lads so we could walk back to the train station. But yeah, Newcastle always, games like Leeds, you know, they always have loads of fans out on there. But as a United fan, you never felt in much trouble just because United have always been able to look after themselves on the book. Those games in the North East, when you've got tiny little allocations, Newcastle, they, they, they stand out, I think. I remember um, stepping off a coach. Uh, and I was stewarding the coach to Newcastle in '94 in a League Cup game, and they part- yeah, well, they, they parked up close to the way, and I stepped off onto the pavement, and this Geordie just swung for me and whacked me. <coughs> he said, "Where's your feeters?" Which I I, I, I assume meant where where are your fighters, <coughs> and um, I was told that the FA Cup game in 1990. Fifth round was very, very rough. I went to the following round at Sheffield United, but Middlesbrough away in the League Cup semi-final in 92, I accounted or got told or researched or whatever, 96 coaches that day. That was the biggest ever number of coaches for a United away game aside from a semi-final or a final. And probably there wasn't a lot of trains going up to Middlesbrough and certainly not coming back after the game, but it was bloody rough up there. Newcastle was rough. And I really like Newcastle as, as a city. And I think Newcastle United are a great football club. And I followed them away to Cardiff in April and wrote a piece on on it. And my uncle was manager there. But you're right, going going up to the northeast in the... Early 90s could be dangerous. And, and Leeds as well. I got a whack at Leeds. I think I only had a couple of whacks at the match. And <laughs> Newcastle was was one of them and, and, and Leeds was another. It's, you've never been scared. You mean that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know quite know what you're getting at here, Andy. But <laughs> I'm not getting at anything. <laughs> that Newcastle game is probably the most just because if we'd been rumbled the three of us in that um, under that stand as we walked around the ground there wouldn't have been much left of us but uh, yeah but no the thing, the thing is in the match you know what's going to happen you, you go for so long and you know what you know how people react how, what's, what's any given situation how it's going to develop and once you once you know that there's nothing really to be scared about because you know what's going to happen. So, the next question is: If you were mayor of Manchester, what changes would you bring about to make the city a better place? And maybe that has been asked because um, you, you, you linked to a very good article talking about the homeless problem in Manchester uh, quite recently. Yeah, I didn't write it. Um, well, I think I think what you'd have to do, you'd bring people like that in who, who grassroots, they know what's going on. They're in tune with what's happening on the streets and rather than just dictating from on high about what should happen. Um, certainly that's one of the biggest visual issues that when people are walking through Piccadilly, they see these things, all the people on the streets, on this space. Um, I mean, again... You could be that here all day talking about it, but it stems from the criminalisation of the drug in the first place, which was needlessly done, tabloid hysteria, and it just snowballs from there, doesn't it? Like a lot of issues. What would you do if you met a member of, of the Glazer family? Well, we, uh, there's a passage about that in, in the book. Was that, Small passage from the book. was that in China? In Beijing? Yeah. Well, uh, well there, there wasn't a lot to do with uh, for Beijing's police force outside because we, we were more we looking into the bus up again. So, um, I mean, I suppose you're talking about these days. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I see, saw a picture a few years ago now of um, one person who 
has been quite, um, what's the word, quite prominent in his voicing and displaying his displeasure at the Glazers. And he was in a hotel in, in, on the pre-season tour, got on a list, and he asked for a selfie with him. And put it this way, I certainly wouldn't be asking for a picture with him, so... People are weird sometimes. I knew one guy who his whole identity was about being against the Glazers, and then three or four years later, I found out he'd applied to work at Manchester United. And I just thought people can be odd sometimes. And then in Vigo this year, I know a couple of lads who went up to the Glazers and had a right go at them. And I know other people who went up to them and, and asked for pictures. Now it was queer as folk, as they say. So if someone is interested in your book maybe they don't know so much about Manchester United about FC United because we've got people listening to this all around the world why should they buy it why would it be of interest to them it tells the story of, of what happened with the club from sort of 99 onwards with um, after the Murdoch bit and there's not, there's not much football in there to be honest it's all about the support of the ports the political shenanigans financial issues so I mean if people are interested in that then it's, it's the background to what they can, get, they can get the football news anywhere any paper YouTube watch the videos but it's, it's all about how issues that would affect United support possibly without even some people realising in terms of price rises I'm sure there's people out there who wouldn't even know about the Glazers finance, financing and why they put the price price, the prices up and all the rest of it. Uh, but there's there's plenty of um, there's plenty of intriguing stuff in there. I think you know we, we went out of Roy Keane's house on one occasion, asked him to play for FC after Fergie binned him off. Um, did he know you? Fun. Did he know you were Roy? Well, I didn't. So at first he was sort of glaring at us, thinking, "What are you dicks doing on my doorstep?" But um, he mellowed about after twenty seconds. So he mellowed. You saw a look in his eye. I don't know whether he saw the flicker recognition, perhaps of me, or maybe Andy Walsh who was with. Um, I don't know, but he, he's, he's actually changed, and he, he had a bit of a loss with us. Which is quite funny. Um, I can so remember. Yeah, I, can, I can remember Roy Keane asking who you were in in Rio in two thousand. Who's JP? I don't know if you'd written something about him in in, in Red Issue. And you, and you yeah, I know what that was about. I, I, I went down. I went down to the hotel station. I was a bit after, but he'd already left, so <laughs> probably just as well. Why? Because you could have got battered by Roy Keane. Um, you mentioned but, uh, that, that, that day him and Nicky Butt had been well, paraglided them. they had so, yeah they'd been <laughs> so, so he wasn't to know they'd, they'd seen stuff and gone paraglided is it paragliding or yeah, yeah. some sort of gliding yeah. parasailing maybe no, it was gliding. They went off the top of the the cliff behind the the hotel Intercontinental where they're at. And you mentioned Andy Walsh there. What's your relationship like with with Andy now? Because you were both integral to the the formation of FC United. I'd assume that you you used to be friends with Andy. And from an outsider's perspective, it seems to have all gone quite acrimonious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is obviously a shame, but. Um... I mean, it was Andy who I, the main person I started questioning what he was up to. And the whole story of it is all in the book of how things went. But yeah, it's a shame because he was, he was a good friend. He was someone I trusted. And, and that's why when, when it did all start coming out about what was happening at FC, I was getting a lot of sticks for that. And so causing a spirit causing aggro as people saw it at the time alright not a lot of people see it that way now but and it's but it's not an easy thing to do that to stand up and go against someone who's got all his youth backing amongst the club's membership because I mean by that stage it was 10 years after the club had been set up most people didn't know me I was well off the radar so and then I'm going against the guy who's taking all the credit he's in all the newspapers he's stood on the pitch against Benfica with the mic doing a speech so he's, he's, the, he's the great hero for everyone he's delivered this ground but well wasn't 
quite like that behind the scenes, so and that's, people don't like that point being pointed out, but Andy Walsh certainly didn't like it being pointed out. So, yeah, there's no, there's no relationship there anymore, but where life goes, sometimes things move on. In the early days, Andy did a lot of good at for FC, no? Yeah, of course he did, but... Jimmy Savile raised a lot of money for charity. But you, you, can't, compare, you, can't, you can't compare Andy with Jimmy Savile. I've not, not compared it to Jimmy Savile, yes. So it's just a, a relationship which, which soured and then became acrimonious and then you pointed, you started pointing out things that you were thinking that he was doing wrong and it, and, it, and it broke down from there. But you feel that with a new board at FC, uh, things might start to right themselves and things could look good. And I noticed the last two results were decent and a, a win at York on Saturday was a, on Bank Holiday Monday was a, was a great result. And I also had a look around some of the forums. There was a huge swing with them two wins. It went from like asking for the manager to be out to saying, well, actually, we're doing all right at, at this level. So you, you, do you still go to FC? Are you going to be going to games this season? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I've not gone as much by any means in recent years. I've been away quite a bit. Um, but I went to York, actually. Quite a lot of people made a day out of it in the sun on Bank Holiday Monday. How many, how many did FC it, take it, now to York? How many were there on Monday? I think it was about 600. It wasn't a big following by any means, but you know, it was decent, decent for the situation the team's been in. Um, I don't think many, many people gave the team much hope of coming away with a draw and never mind a win but yeah it's, it's good it's a good day out um, not been in, I've not been to York since 2000 so it was uh, a nice little place to go isn't it and taking 600 there's teams in League 1 who would struggle to take 600 fans so the, the support de- definitely seems to be there as well Hope your book goes well. It's Red Rebels, the Glazers and the FC United Revolution by John Paul O'Neill. It's published by Yellow Jersey Press and it's out on the 21st of September 2017 and it's priced at 14 99 Thank you for your time, John Paul. Thanks, Andy.